Uh, excuse me, uh, I heard that this is where I could find Mr. Piper Ryback. Oi, Gemma, don't be so obvious. You're greener than a cash salad on St. Patty's Day. Call me Mr. Johnson. You know, out of respect for my low profile. If anonymity were a concern for you, uh, it might be wise to convince uh, the innkeeper over there uh, to stop referring all of his guests to you. I bet the police know all about you and your operation here. Hey, uh, that's the risk you gotta take in this here uh, shadowy world of clandestine runs. Now listen, what can old Mr. Piper Ryback do for you? I'm definitely interested in some work. Uh, I've got my eye on some, uh, some hot new weapons and cyberware. Now listen, I got this client, and he needs to be taken across the street to that abandoned warehouse over there. And uh, you do this, and I will pay you 50 bucks. 50 bucks to cross the street? That sounds great. What's his name? I don't know. Uh, wait, wait a minute. You, you don't want to negotiate? Well, I mean, 50 bucks to cross the street sounds pretty great to me. I mean, do I get back pay for the streets I crossed to get here? Hey, hey, ease up on the smart-ass routine, chum. 50 new yen it is, plus some karma. I thought the karma was only served out by the Cosmos. Cosmos? Ain't that that Johnson down by the docks? Hey, he ain't got no corner on that market. I don't understand how karma can help me upgrade my deck anyway. Well, about that, I got some bad news. If you want to buy the really cool cyberware, it's going to be at least 70,000, do you? 70,000? Jesus. Do you have anything that's just a little bit more affordable? Well, I know this guy who can let you in on all the hottest corporation secrets. And I can give you his phone number. It's only going to cost you a thousand new yen. Everyone in this town is trying to bleed me dry. <sighs> okay, here, take it. Here you go. Uh, hey, uh, hi, Mr. Uh, uh, Mr. Piper Ryback. Uh, he, he told me that you had some tips on some uh, really lucrative corp shadow runs. Yeah, the, uh, the first thing you have to remember when you're running against the corp is you always have to watch out for fireballs. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And this is Watch Out for Fireballs. It is a retro video games podcast. And this episode, we're talking about the Sega Genesis version of Shadowrun. Which is a game that came out in 1994 and was developed by Blue Sky Software. All right. Blue, Blue Sky was uh, you know, not a real big developer. They didn't have a lot of games to their credit. Um, kind of interestingly, the only game that they did that I... I'd played other than Shadowrun is a game called Starflight, or the, the Genesis port of Starflight. It's originally a PC game. And it is similarly uh, very obtuse. <laughs> and uh, I also am in love with that game as well. 
So uh, they have this kind of knack for doing these very PC console games. PC-ass console games. I mean, and I don't know if you get much more uh, PC than trying to make a role-playing game that's based off of a pen and paper tabletop game, uh, which Shadowrun is. It's, you know, that, that, that universe and, you know, kind of series has been around for quite a while. Uh, predated the Genesis version by quite a bit. Um, it is a cyberpunk setting uh, with strong fantasy elements, including things like elves, orcs, trolls, and uh, magic intersection, you know, intersecting with the usual gunplay and uh, kind of computer hacking. Right. I, I played a lot of the, the pen and paper Shadowrun game as a teenager, and even a little bit um, once I was older. And my one of my friends consistently referred to it as the bi-curious RPG <laughs> because it because it kind of is all things to to all people. It's for people who can't commit, right? This game kind of just combines all those elements, and uh, they they crammed all of those elements down into a, a Sega Genesis cart. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, so you play this game. It plays from a top-down perspective, and you're given free reign over the city of Seattle. Um, combat is handled in real time and you can just switch between targets and switch between party members at will. So it's kind of got that action side to it as well as being a role playing game. Much of the game takes place, um, in the city, of course, uh, where you talk with NPCs using a conversation system, uh, that was very robust for being on the Sega Genesis in, in 1994. And what's even more surprising is that there's really no predetermined, uh, series or sequence of events. It's really up to you to, uh, seek out, uh, quests, both story quests or individual, uh, you know, kind of missions that are called shadow runs. Um, and pursue story leads that you're given. And you can actually drop story threads and go work on another one if the one that you are hitting is is pretty uh, is too tough for you. Um, and if it is too tough for you, you can actually hire other uh, runners who uh, can round out your team and improve your odds of success because uh, this is a very hard game. <laughs> and we'll talk about that at length later, but... Yeah, it it is it is a tough game. It it gives Zombies Ain't My Neighbors a, a run for its money as far as <laughs> toughest game we've done. Um in addition to the real world sections of the game where you're running around Seattle and going on these shadow runs, you can also hack into the Matrix, which is the the computer system or or the internet of the future, which is a, a turn-based kind of RPG combat system that is almost its own game. It's very similar to the game Uplink, uh which is a PC game if you've played that, but it's it's a really robust uh, kind of side game set in within the main game. And speaking of side games, you know, we're talking about the Sega Genesis version of Shadowrun here today um, in this episode, but it's notable uh, that there were other games made in the same series. Now, there was an SNES version that was released one year before this one um, that was kind of just a point-and-click adventure game uh, with stats and combat. It was uh, not as open-world as this one um, is is kind of known for being. Right, and I, and I think it, I mean it's it's worth noting that the Super Nintendo version, while also I think that's it's a very good game, is also really unique and weird. Both of the Shadow Runs for the 16-bit consoles kind of took these PC principles and applied them to a console game. So we have the Genesis one, which is kind of a prototypical you know open-world game with RPG elements. The Super Nintendo one is very much a point-and-click adventure game with RPG elements. Both of which, I mean, even down to the fact that you have a cursor <laughs> that you control. So you, so you aim using a cursor, you interact with your environment using a cursor that you control with the D-pad. So both games are really unique and weird. And uh, until, you know, 2007 came <laughs> along and they decided to strip everything unique and interesting from the Shadowrun license and make a uh, 
you know, a, a combat only, multiplayer only first person shooter game for Xbox and PC. And myself, as well as other fans of the series or of the property, uh, pretend that game does not exist because it is shit <laughs> and it is made of shit. And uh, it, it, it sucks. It is not. I mean, it's, not, it's, it's competent, but there's nothing yeah. to recommend it. It's not unique at all. I have friends who still swear by it. Like they still play it. That's weird to me. Like I, I played it. I bought it because it was on some kind of, uh, you know, G- games for Windows sale for three dollars, and I, and I got it along with my friend uh, Derek, mm-hmm. and we played it. Like I tried it, but it just it doesn't. You know, I just I could not get into. It. I mean, part of that is because I'm not that into multiplayer shooters. Yeah. You know, I, I like single player campaigns and shooters, but it just it is it is not very Shadowrun. It, it has no need to have the license. But that that'll be for for a future if. if Watch out for Fireballs goes on for 30 years. Maybe yeah. someday we'll do the 2007 Shadowrun. Mm-hmm. But uh, until then, until then, it's not retro. It is a piece of shit. <laughs> and instead, we will we'll concentrate on the Genesis. Let's talk about the Genesis one. Let's talk uh, specifically about the plot a little bit, Cole. <laughs> well, um, in Shadowrun, you play as a character named Joshua, uh, who has spent his last cent or last Nuyen uh, traveling to Seattle uh, in order to avenge the death of his older brother, Michael. Now, after working to pay off some of Michael's debts uh, when you first arrive in the Redmond Barrens, uh, Joshua gets three clues uh, to track down um, in a pretty non-linear fashion uh, while also doing uh, shadow runs to gain money and karma, which is kind of the experience system in the shadow run uh, uh, universe. Mm-hmm. And you kind of open up uh, through the game following your, your initial set of clues. You open up different lines of inquiry and kind of following these to their end reveals new information about the circumstances of uh, your brother's death. And eventually, you know, it points Joshua to the Renraku Megacorp and an ancient entity named Thon, who is a, a free spirit, eldritch abomination, you know, spirit monster thing that is looking to take over the world. Body of a man, head of a jackal. Yeah, he's he's a goofy looking design. <laughs> I, I am not scared of Thon. It's underwhelming. <laughs> um, it really is. <laughs> Okay. Um, so, so the game is fairly plot light. Um, it kind of dispenses its its little nuggets of, of plot information sparingly, and uh, the majority of the game is spent uh, trying to improve your character and uh, up your resources, buy better equipment, and everything. So instead of just talking about the plot, we'll kind of talk about it in an experiential way, kind of a beginning, middle, and end, because uh, the game definitely feels like it's kind of got these. You know, it's bookended by by an intro and a climax, and then there's that middle part where there are those different quest lines you follow in any order. And and there is definitely a lot of grinding, so that'll come into the uh, come into the equation here. But I think it handles grinding in a pretty good way compared to um, other RPGs of of the time, even if uh, the initial difficulty wall is um, nigh insurmountable. Right, right. I mean, this in this game, you know, when you you first arrive in Seattle and you have to uh, pick up your brother's uh, kind of last items and the things he left behind in a hotel, you, the innkeeper suggests you, you go meet a Mr. Johnson and this world, uh, Mr. Johnson is a, is a guy, he gets contracts from, from different people and, and kind of gives assignments to shadow runners, which are people who do illegal jobs essentially, you know, and these can, can rate, you know, have a wide variety in the, the pen and paper world, but in the, Genesis version, there's only a few different things you do. You start out with these kind of easy ones. So he has you, um, you know, delivering packages door to door, escorting people to different locations. 
and uh, you just kind of gain up some money and, and karma in the beginning just to kind of get, get started and get those first initial clues. And, and really what's important and something that was very valuable that you told me and something if you're listening to this um, before you play it, I don't, I, you know, I don't know why you do that, but if you're listening to this before you play it, the best thing that you can do is really knuckle down and work towards getting some pretty basic gear at the at the start you know it's it's notable that the best the very best weapon you can get is right across the street from where you start the game it's one of the one of the really neat things that this game does and then really kind of unusual is that there's not that usual kind of uh you know progression where you know the first town you're in everybody uses wooden armor for some reason <laughs> And then because something is located geographically across the world, they make everything out of diamonds, <laughs> um, you know, even though it, it seems to be to be the same kind of town. Um, this kind of takes a stab at a more like kind of realistic or consistent economy. So, you know, you're 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 a criminal, uh, you know, kind of a Robin Hood character doing these missions and uh, use guns. So you just go into a gun shop like a, a normal person and can buy the best pistol in the game literally right next door to your starting location. That's assuming you can get there because as you're walking the streets of Redmond, uh, people in Halloween masks come up and just rip you limb from limb. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I, under, I understand you had a little bit of a, a tough, you know, a, a tough start with this one. It was a tough go. It, it honestly was, and you know, a lot of it could have been ameliorated if I was aware that uh, maps of the game exist. Um, but the majority of those first um, those those first runs, it really does hinge on you knowing where things are, and because of the limitations of the te- of the technology, the views kind of zoomed in, and you don't really see that much of everything. So I spent a lot of my time, um, since I'm playing this in an emulator, kind of loading and you know quick saving and loading, quick saving and loading, making a map so that I could you know get very very well acquainted with this first screen and know. You know, okay, he's telling me to run from the correctional institution to the nuclear plant. You know, so I'm going to go do that. And I could probably, you know, draw a map of that place from memory now. Um, and that was kind of one of the first things that I needed to do. Um, and because I had the, you know, the luxury of being able to quick save and quick load, um, it probably wasn't as frustrating um, as it should have been. Now, you said that the Genesis version came with maps? Yeah, the manual has maps in it uh, by each section. Kind of mercifully, the closest thing this game has to a tutorial is that it keeps you in one area of Seattle um, until you're able to to kind of hit that first milestone and pay off your brother's old debts. So uh, you get a, get a chance to really get to know this this one kind of slum of Seattle, and uh, it was really nice, you know, having playing this in, in physical version when I was you know 15 or 16, and having the the, the maps available help tons. If you don't have them, there is a kind of a lot of trial and error. And there is a, an aspect, you know, where you're talking about those people in Halloween masks. Um, <laughs> you know, there are gangs that, that wander around. There are uh, different encounters you can get into that are dangerous. So while you're trying to kind of grind up for experience and, and money, which really is, is what it is, it's the equivalent of, of walking around the first town in, in Dragon Warrior killing mm-hmm. slimes, you know, just kind of doing these, these quick little, little missions, um, you are in some danger. You can be outnumbered. They will gang up on you, quite literally. Right. And there's a weird kind of mechanic in the game where you have a standard walking speed, but once uh, an enemy comes on screen, you're kind of in like an encounter mode, and your your walking screen walking speed is determined by your stats. So when you start out as a kind of a weak character, 
as soon as somebody, it's really easy for these bad guys to get around you because you you just slow down to molasses and you start going really slow. Kind of countering this, though, I think, is that there is almost no consequence for death. And the penalty isn't as stiff as I initially thought. I was, you know, reloading after deaths until I realized that it was only a very small percentage of, of what I actually had on hand. So I started being a good, a good sport about it, which was something that I attempted to do valiantly i would say um throughout the game but ultimately uh <laughs> my frustration <laughs> gave way to um less than honorable tactics um right yeah. I, I should i should say that as we were preparing to do this uh podcast cole sent me an email that just <laughs> said uh, i is it two lines that said i finished Shadowrun today you know paragraph break I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so it's definitely uh, kind of kind of abused, abused a little bit exactly. <laughs> on this one. It's uh, um, you, you know I'm doing that mostly to be funny. I can really see like how this is an amazing game. You know, just because I'm playing you know, this discussion should probably come later, but this is a pretty good time to do it. I think because we're talking about these initial quests, and it's you know go to place kill things or go to place, grab thing and bring it back to me or bring it to somebody else right now. Um, in November of 2011, which is when we're recording this, if you're listening to this far in the future in the, you know, archives of the library of Congress, <laughs> giving you some context, I'm playing the elder scrolls Skyrim. And, and aside mm -hmm. from a couple of, you know, really well written out and kind of good scenario design evidenced quests, um, this DNA has propagated itself into a large number of the games that we have that we that we play and that we kind of take for granted. So I understand it. I get it. And I, I play it and I see I'm like, oh, there it is. But because I wasn't there, you know, a little bit of the oomph is taken out of playing something that was really far ahead of its time when you play it really, really far after its time. So. <laughs> so to appreciate this game, you really do have to kind of appreciate it in its time. Yeah. You know, I'm not I wouldn't say that it's not worth going back and playing. I, I personally think that it is. But part of it is just a, a marvel of like, I can't believe this game did this, you know, in 1994. Uh, one of the things I like about this game a lot is, you know, it's really hard to make these improvements in your character, but they make a, they feel like they make a real big difference. A huge difference. Like, uh, yeah. One of my least favorite things in games is when, you know, level ups and that kind of chance to improve your character come so, so rarely that when you, when you have a chance to, it doesn't feel any different. Like you have a, you know, a plus one vitality and a, and a plus one strength and you can't really tell that you're doing more damage or, or more hardy. And in this game, you know, gaining $560, which is not very much money, you get a, a huge leap in your effectiveness. You know, if you spend, I would say, you know, not a lot of time, like maybe an hour, hour and a half, just kind of uh, building up your character in the beginning, you can, you can be worlds apart from where you start. And uh, that's really satisfying and really empowering. It really does pay dividends, especially if you buy that predator pistol and that armor jacket. I mean, you start tearing through people who were, you know, giving you a lot of trouble and, this is without having to venture to the far ends of the earth in order to get the ancient sword of fuck you, you know? Right. Right. And there's, and there's not, there's almost not even that the ancient sword of fuck you almost doesn't exist. Like there are some, there are, you know, there are different uh, weapon shops and everything in the game, but um, a lot of them carry the same items. 
they have different prices. Like one of the things is, it, you know, it's good to shop around in this game if you're able to. And that's a, a weird thing for video games. You know, different stores have different economies. I just, you know, and I, we keep coming back to this and I, I've actually made a list for, for our notes, but just there's so many weird things and cool things this game does before any other game that I can think of. Um, that is one of them. So after you pay off your initial debt, you are given access to the rest of the world, and it's really up to you to decide what to do next. You have some basic questions, you have some pictures of people, and you have uh, this kind of Mega Man-like world map where you just kind of go from area to area. And I found myself um, at this point you know, making more maps, obviously, if you are a listener mm. to watch out for Fireball, here's my investment tip. Invest in somebody who uh, manufactures graph paper um, <laughs> because I'm that kind of person. <laughs> mm. um, but then I just kind of started getting the lay of the land and figuring out what things were. And it was kind of it was kind of neat to um, talk to the different Shadowrunners and talk to the different Johnsons and figure out what the difference was you know, what the differences were. And then over the course of trying to pursue these three main quest lines, build up my team and actually did build a pretty good team. Uh, I, I played as a, as a samurai this time. What did you, what did mm-hmm. you play as for this run? Uh, I historically I've played through as all three. Um, this time I played through as a Decker starting out as a Decker, even though there's tons of overlap there. Uh, Decker for anybody who, who doesn't know, it'd be somebody who, who hacks into to cyberspace who uh, surfs the information superhighway <laughs> of the uh, of the future? <laughs> the worst term for the internet all that, uh, like, that ever was. All that I'm picturing is that ubiquitous book cover with like little kids surfing on the surfing, surfing on the computer on the keyboard. keyboard with a mouse in his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that was the future. <laughs> the um, so I played through as a decker. The, the only so both of those playthroughs are fairly similar because you can kind of build both to be, you know, kind of a jack of both trades. Um, you also have the option to play as a gator shaman. Um, they don't explain what what Gator what's so Gator about it. <laughs> if you don't know about the the pen and paper game, uh, you probably are wondering what exactly is so Gator about it. But uh, shaman have different animal totems. I thought it was because it was really you know you could close your mouth with a lot of force, but it was really really hard for you to open it. Right, right, and you can't uh, you can't run diagonally, or right. you can you can only run in straight lines. Yeah, yeah, and you can only so, see uh, movement. It changes the gameplay immensely. <laughs> yeah. um, it's also underwater. <laughs> so so it changes the game it changes the game top to bottom. It actually is just a, a different way that you uh you know different bonuses you get to magic, but you can play as a magician and that changes the gameplay a lot. Mostly because I found that in this kind of uh building up your character and building up money stage. I know you played it differently, mm-hmm. uh, Cole, but in my experience, the kind of the way the most efficient way to get money is through cyberspace, is through the matrix. And as a, a shaman, you have to hire someone to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason being, you have this kind of this this quality called essence, which measures how human you are. And as you buy cyberware, they have a money cost, but also an essence cost. That's kind of a hard limit on how much you can have. But uh, your your maximum essence cost doubles as your maximum ma- your magic stat. So as you get more cyberware, you're worse at magic. And that, and that's good. I, I like that. There's a trade off between you know technology and humanity and your kind of connection to a natural world. So. You know, I'm a right. and it, it actually comes up in in kind of a, a plot way a little bit later. Um, one of the you know, and we'll talk about this um, kind of more at length. But there's there's a, a little bit of a kind of side quest in this game, and one of the things you can do pretty much at any point once you leave the first uh, neighborhood, if you have enough money, is you can find a runner who was on your brother's team, um, a guy named Stark, 
And uh, he's, he's all torn up. He's in a hut secluded in the wilderness. And because he has so much cyberware, the, the shamans there can't heal him because magic doesn't work as well on him. So you actually end up having to go on a run to find a, a prototype cybernetic heart oh. in, a, in, a, in a building to, to heal him. And he, he works, he's really powerful and he works for you for free because you knew, he knew your brother. Huh. So, but he's, he's pretty well hidden. There's no, you can very easily, and as I can tell from Cole's Hans, uh, it's very easy to go through the game without running into him. And it sounds like, sounds like you had. I had no idea. <laughs> so, so, so I, yeah, I, yeah I, my, my team consisted of Rihanna and Freya. I had, I was, I was rolling with two elf chicks, you know, uh, one was my, mm-hmm. one was my, uh, uh, door unlocker and the other one was my person blower upper. Um, and then I mm-hmm. just shot people. <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to play, um, I have a weird, when I play one of these games where you have multiple NPCs you can recruit, uh, same thing when I play Final Fantasy Tactics, I have this weird urge to play with storyline characters. Uh, so I played through with Stark, who who you get, and then uh, Eileen Two-Fist, who is a, a character you break out of jail yeah. later on. So I, I did not have a, a magic user in my party Okay, this playthrough. Makes sense. Um, so do we want to talk a little bit, a little bit about the individual quest lines or is that even an, an interesting line of inquiry? Cause they, because they both kind of, all of them kind of play and shake out the same. Um, you know, you, you, you walk around and you trace down some leads and then ultimately you make a raid on some corporations. And I thought that those corporation raids on, uh, Mitsuhama and on Ren- Renroku were kind of the, 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 the highlights of the game for me, you know, mm-hmm. those are, those are really neat. And it should be said that these are things you can do as regular shadow runs as well. Um, you'll get kind of, maybe we should go through the different kind of those shadow runs that you can get mm-hmm. and just kind of talk about those a little bit because yeah. I'll, you're going to spend a lot of your game doing that. Um, there are those ones we talked about where you're escorting a person or a package from place to place. Um, those are very easy and there's not much to them. Uh, just kind of as a pro tip, if you're going to do those outside of the first neighborhood, um, in the pulley up barons, uh, there's different gangs in the game. There's three different gangs and, uh, you can find the orc gangs headquarters. And if you ally yourself with them, they give you a headband that lets you ride, uh, travel between zones for free. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, that, that gives you a discount on taxi fare, which is essential if you're going to be doing these kind of runs for people. Because if they ask you to, you know, travel to a neighborhood and back, that's eighty bucks out of your profit right there. Yeah, it reduces your overhead. Yeah. Right, it's very, very like economical or <laughs> economics based kind of game. Right, I, I, I ended up siding with, uh, with with the Halloweeners and the Yakuza, mostly because I read that that was the way to get the best armor in the game and because one of my major frustrations was that i kept on dying so frequently um really it felt like no matter what i did it was like i'm gonna do that that's the thing i'm going to do right that, that's probably the best one um in in terms of mechanics you know so the the uh the halloweeners which is those guys and the the clown faces who who try to murder you during the entire first part <laughs> of the game um i forgave them introduced to their boss yeah, eventually, yeah, and then they stop trying to murder you, but then every other gang tries to murder you twice as much. But hey, I've got good armor. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you, you get um, again talking about how empowering the items are. You get this best armor in the game. It's a, a heavy combat armor, and it almost makes you immune to bullets. Like regular <laughs> attacks are really just barely damage you once you get this armor. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the other types of uh, runs that you did? The other types of runs, the ones that I spent a lot of money on, especially in the early parts of the game, were the ghoul bounties. 
um, where you would go into these big abandoned buildings and uh, kill ghouls. Now, I never really got a grasp on what exactly a ghoul was, um, but they were uh, really, really lucrative to kill. So I'm not going to ask too many questions, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think that's I mean, I would say that's probably the best uh, best thing to start with in the game. Once you get that that decent armor and good gun, um, doing these ghoul bounties is how you're going to make most of your money up until you can start, uh, you know, going into the, the Internet. Um, you go into these buildings, every every neighborhood in town has these like <laughs> dark, spooky buildings filled with like uh, ghouls and vampires and gargoyles. Um <laughs> It's just it's just really strange, um, but uh, you you go there and you're just, you're just doing a bounty, and these are the only uh, missions in the game where the, your reward is uh, directly related to how much work you want to put into it. So if you want, you can kill up to twenty of them. So if you want to stay for a while and and just have a field day, you can make a lot of money. Or if you are almost you know if you get really hurt and have to bail, you don't fail the mission. Yeah, and those were uh, those were pretty interesting because they felt like uh, dungeon crawls to me. And, you know, those those were the ones that I spent the majority of my time on because um, some of those spurious uh, methods that I followed um, later on in the game as I was rushing towards my deadline um, to play it for this and running out mm-hmm. of patience, I, I did cheat once to get money. Um, and mm-hmm. that, I know, took away from my experience playing the game. But uh, I, I was running up against the wall with the Matrix runs. Now... Can you explain to me how the Matrix works, Morpheus, please? <laughs> Just in general. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, the um, the internet in this game, the, the cyber combat, you have your character stats, and then you also have a cyber deck. And the cyber deck has these real-world kind of stats. So it has, like, um, like hardening and memory, and like different kinds of memory, like the equivalent of RAM and, and storage. And uh, you know, you can improve, and you you run programs. So there's I, th- I think 16 different programs you can buy um, that do different things. And you move from node to node. It looks like geometric shapes connected by lines over a Sega Master System cover. <laughs> um, you know, just that that grid. And you move your little like glowing silvery cyber warrior from node to node. And you fight uh, these things called intrusion countermeasures or ICE, as they're called. And there, there are different types, and uh, you just you choose which program to run, and you can only run them every you know you have a, a set time interval that's determined by your stats, and you're just trying to get past the the intrusion countermeasures into the node, and then you can operate that node. Um, there are different kinds. The uh, the ones to look out for when you're trying to make money are the squares, and those are data stores, and uh, when you go to those, sometimes when you're doing matrix missions. It'll be to get a specific piece of data. So you'll you'll go into the matrix, you have to fight through these different programs, and uh, download a specific piece of data. But you can also download um, random, you know, data like expense accounts and corporate memos and stuff like that. And there's a guy downtown in the lower left who will buy them um, from you. So that is how I, you make a lot of. I've made a lot of my money. Was you know you you get uh, get a good decker. Save up enough money to buy a decent cyber deck, and you can kind of do these moderate matrix runs where you make like three thousand dollars, but you can sometimes sell your your extraneous data for twenty or twenty five thousand. Um, but it, it's it is it is kind of inscrutable because you know you have to have a high enough computer use stat, you have to have a decent deck. It's going to be like first level characters in D anD D for a long time, where <laughs> you're just constantly missing. 
Yeah. You know, you just keep clicking and clicking and clicking and missing and missing and missing. There's also not a really good job done telling you what the different programs do or what the different ice are. This is all stuff that I just kind of knew from the pen and paper game or from when I was 15. And I couldn't imagine what it would be like not to know and, and, and try to get through that. And it's so weird because I'm, I'm not a dumb guy. You, you know, <laughs> some, some people would say, um, and I looked up facts and I looked up wikis and no, no explanation that I read gave me a very succinct, actionable way to actually succeed at doing one of these things. So what you described where you're hitting, you know, where you click, 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 miss, 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 you know, intrusion detected. <laughs> that, that that just kept on happening to me and I, I i ended up you know getting enough of those runs and i saw that the pay for those was really good and was like okay i can't break through the metaphor you know and and most of the stats mm. and most of the names it's a computer metaphor over a kind of turn-based rpg combat is that accurate right Correct. And, and and I couldn't I couldn't break through that in order to succeed. So I just determined that it was in my best interest to cheat and make the money that I was going to make by doing that, you know, through actual computer hacking methods, which was, you know, to enter Abacab at the at the start screen. And there we go. Yeah, the, the Genesis code. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, as I always like to call it, um, the uh, pun intended. <laughs> the um yeah you know uh i i like i said i don't know what it would be like if i didn't already know how to do it um what it sounds like is you just weren't rolled for it you know like your your character just didn't have like enough like quickness and and computer use and you you have to do those kind of those ghoul runs and those typical shadow runs to get enough money to buy a decent cyber deck and the best one in the game is like a hundred and eighty five thousand dollars like the hidden version of it, the discounted version. So and we'll talk about this in the frustrations, but I understand, I don't blame you for not getting to the point where you can do those expert, you know, matrix runs. One of the things I really like though, about the matrix is it influences the, uh, the, the other runs you'll do. So, you know, some of the other things you'll get is you'll, you'll, they'll say, Hey, this guy is dissatisfied with his job, but he's under contract break into this building and grab him, you know, essentially kidnap him, but he, he wants to be kidnapped. Um, so you'll go on these these corporation runs where you, you have to go through the building and you know deal with uh, deal with alarms and cameras and locked doors and uh, you know random guards. And one of the things that's neat is having a good hacker, even if hacking isn't the point of the mission, you can go into the matrix, um, do things like shut down the cameras, shut down the alarms, um, find out where things are um, in in the building. Like if you're looking for a specific item, like a package. And you can find out it's on like the fourth floor, um, so there's kind of this neat little synergy between between the different skills, and it really encourages having a well-rounded party if yeah. you're if you're able to do it. But then again, getting the resources to have that party is is tough as shit. <laughs> Hiring people is so expensive. Well, we'll talk about that in the frustrations, but everything costs so much money. <laughs> yeah. It, so so we pretty much we talked about the different kinds of runs you'll do. Um, let's talk like let's talk just a little bit about the storyline quests. Yeah, just uh, briefly. It's not that you know. It's not deep. There's not a lot to the story, but let's just kind of knock them out real quick. 
the majority of the of the quests uh, revolved going to the uh, the the Salishid. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I'm not. I'm not entirely sure. Which which is um, American Indian um, lands, and you have to buy a visa to get there, and that's kind of a cool little touch. But you know, at the start of the game, well, not the start of the game. After you pay off your debts, um, you're given three people that you're supposed to seek out: David Alfelder, um, Mako Soshu, and Caleb Brightmore. Who are these three? Um, contacts who were on your brother's last run. Um, and right, well, the people weren't necessarily, but they're connected in, yeah. in some way. So the, these people weren't on the run, but they uh, you kind of follow a trail of people. Yeah. But um, you know, eventually these are the names that you, you want to seek out. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, it was nice to go to those um, various uh, wilderness lands um, in those caves uh, just because it was a nice change of pace from the uh, the usual template uh, environment of being in a city and then being in an abandoned building, et cetera, et cetera. Um, even if most of the quests, like the one for David Alfeather, uh, were kind of fetch quests to go and hunt down different types of animals to get parts of their bodies for some reasons. Right. And and the thing is, you know, it, it is, I agree with you, it's really nice when you get to the wilderness. I mean, this game has a really, um, when you're in the city, it's got a very, like, drab color palette. The inside of those buildings where you, you fight the ghouls, everything is weird and blue, um, or purple, I'm, I'm colorblind, but it's it's a weird, you know, kind of bluish tint. But I feel like in this, it's kind of enforced by the genre. Mm-hmm. So it's okay that those areas, you know, kind of look so so drab and run down because that's what they're trying to get across. You know, mm-hmm. everything is in, is in ruin. So it is really refreshing to see some green. Um, it's also, um, you know, it's big. Like when you when you first get to the to the the kind of wilderness, um, it's huge. You can spend, you know, if you don't want to look at maps, you don't want to look at a fact on how to get to the, some of these places. Um, it can take you know, take a lot of exploring to get there. It's a really huge area, especially since at any time marauding bands of hellhounds will rip you limb from limb <laughs> you know right right these, these are these are probably the fucking bats of this game yeah yeah let's just um, call it right they're, now yeah they're they're uh there are a couple of different magical creatures you fight in the Shadowrun lore the same magic that made uh may there be elves and dwarves and trolls also turned regular animals into these kind of mythical creatures and uh some dogs turn into these hellhounds which are fast as hell and uh in the, in the lore, they breathe fire. In the actual game, they just run up to you and you die. Um, <laughs> and there's just there's just tons of them. They're everywhere. Yeah, and and they really do make walking through the walking through the wilderness a pain. Um, and you know, it's a little bit ridiculous when you're trying to find your way, but eventually you do. I didn't like how they got to me in the uh, in the uh, village lands, um, which was kind of frustrating because I'd be I'd be just that <laughs> yeah, far away from my goal, and then there they are. Yeah, do it. Just put somebody out there with a yeah, crossbow. Yeah, 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 seriously, control your town. Like, how is this sustainable? <laughs> you know, you're just <laughs> exactly. Like, um, uh, for the David Alfeather quest, you spend most of your time um, working with one of the shaman in the American Indian village to um, perform several rites in order to divine um, certain aspects of you know how Michael died, and you bring her different pieces of different animals, including hellhounds and gargoyles, and ultimately. Um, a dragon's feather, um, and that dragon is a nice little piece of Deus Ex Machina because he comes back to help you later. So after after you divine the name of uh, uh, you know of, of your brother's killer, um, you you need to find out about Renraku's in, involvement, and you kind of follow again this trail of, of breadcrumbs and led get led to the name Mako Shao or Shahao. Um, and this is this quest kind of involves like a lot of 
you know, finding executives in bars and getting into getting into fights in these cramped kind of bar areas. Yeah. And, and, and that's kind of frustrating because a lot of my strategy for being successful was maneuvering. I put a lot of um, points into speed or whichever made you able to move around faster because that did seem to baffle your enemies targeting, especially if you had other party members. Um, so yeah, those kind of things where it was just kind of like, okay, you're going to stand here and shoot at people. Uh, I wasn't very successful at those. This, this kind of common, like climaxes in a, in a raid on Renraku, which is the, the biggest, most complicated, you know, corporation and, and kind of complicated dungeon. Um, there are six floors, there are two elevators. They don't go to each, each elevator doesn't go to each floor. Um, the first floor doesn't have a computer console. So if you're playing with a good decker, you know, your strategy when you get into a building is to go inside and turn off the cameras as soon as you can, hopefully before getting questioned by a patrolling guard. And in this one, you have to actually make it to the elevator before you can do that. Um, I don't know how this business runs without having a computer on their first floor. <laughs> uh, it seems really, really inconvenient to me. But um, <laughs> yeah, this is a, a really tough but very satisfying um, kind of climax to that quest line. I liked it a lot, and I think that it might be worth talking about um, how interesting and how kind of cool those random guard encounters are. Um, and that extends throughout the rest of the game. I mean, I know this is kind of off topic, but it does come up here. If you're inside the Renraku building or any of the corporation buildings, a guard can come up to you and you can either present um, a falsified kind of forged ID badge or you can fast talk your way out of it. And because this is the way that I play every single RPG ever, put a lot of points into um, <laughs> into personality stats. And um, I was able to get out of most of those encounters unscathed. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. There's a, a random element to them. So if you have a, an ID badge, um, you know, you can show him the ID badge. He'll call it in. Um, or sometimes he'll just wave you past. Sometimes he'll call it in, but then wave you past. And sometimes the, he attacks. Um, there are other encounters, too. Like, there's one one of the ones I like is they show this real schlubby-looking guy who kind of looks like Kojak. And it's like, you know, a, a defeated looking company man flicks a toothpick at you. And then you just you can just sit there and take it and walk away or you can start a fight with them. And if you start a fight with them, you're going to blow your cover. But it's just like this guy's just an asshole, you know, and it just it's and it happens when you're out in the streets, too. You get different kinds of encounters. and They all can end different ways. So it kind of cuts down on that repetition. You know, a good example is that there's a, you know, men in white coats dragging a woman away. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can help, you can attack them, you can help them, or you can ignore them. You always have the opportunity to ignore them, which I really like. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're hurting, if you're not in a position where you want to get involved, you don't have to. And uh, if you you know if you attack them, sometimes they're you know just kidnappers and they're going to do terrible things to her that are unsaid. And sometimes she's a mental patient, and they were just trying to get you know get her back, and she escapes, and you have that kind of on your conscience. Um, there's just kind of different results. I don't know exactly what determines them, but it's really neat. Yeah, and it makes it keeps you on your toes, and it makes you consider, you know, what position you're at. And am I willing to roll the dice on whether or not she is a mental patient, or whether or not this person feigning illness is a vampire? And kind of they also they don't always have mechanical effects either. There are a few of them that are just uh, for flavor. There's a recurring one where somebody walks out of a crowd and takes a picture of you. I love and that. And then just kind of fades back. And, there, and there's no nothing is said about it. Yeah, it's really awesome. It, it just makes build, you feel very paranoid. It builds up the sense of paranoia and cameras everywhere and Big Brother kind of thing that is kind of the hallmark of the cyberpunk uh, genre. It also kind of suggests that these are crowded cities because there's nothing actually in the game to suggest that otherwise. Yeah. And you go into a room and you're lucky if there are two people standing in it. Uh, if you walk you know, from one end of town to the other, you're lucky if you see two people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of just you just kind of have to use your imagination yeah. and think that there are teeming crowds of Seattleites. Yeah, yeah. And if this was you know made more recently, it would. I would love to see a Shadowrun game done in like the Bethesda Fallout engine. I see a lot of similarities oh, between the two uh, between the two uh, universes. Yeah, get get out of my dreams and into my car. That that is a that is on my my gaming wish list. Um, and I was when I first heard they were doing a new Shadowrun game. Imagine Cole, like imagine how excited I was. And the, the I don't know that would be amazing. Like and it's it it would be it would be a day one. Day one purchase for me. Oh, I'd, yeah. be, I'd be blown away to see the setting kind of just really fleshed out. Yeah. But you find Mako Soshu, and I forget exactly what he contributes to you, but it's something about, oh, yeah, Renraku. There you go. You go, you go to Renraku, and you find out that they're holding on to this map overlay um, that points to this something or other, and you won't find out about it later, you know, until later at the end of the game. Oh, well. But it's a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, but you get, you get one more piece of the puzzle, and then there's finally just kind of the third third thing there's really only three big missions in the middle of this game um so it's kind of just five parts um and this is you you find the johnson who originally hired your brother um you you have to get he's in a pretty exclusive club you have to have a high enough reputation stat to get in um and he eventually um you know leads you to someone or another and you, you end up doing another series of kind of fetch quests including that uh, raid on the jail where you find Eileen Two-Fist, which I would agree with you is actually really anticlimactic and, and pretty boring. Anytime you go back to something that you saw at the beginning of the game, it should be the most awesome thing in the entire world. You know? <laughs> because you spend... Yeah, I totally agree. You spend so much time walking around this correctional you know, facility, facility and you start asking yourself questions. Why is this the Hollywood correctional, insti- you know, correctional institution? <laughs> why, uh, why won't they let me in? Why are they being so terse with me? There must be something cool there. They really build that up. Like when you drop off packages there, they show this guard in like power armor who's <laughs> staying there. And he's like, just like, you know, toss it here. And, and it, it just seems like it's like, the, you know, toughest you know, toughest place on the block. And just you go there and like it's minimal security, like an alarm goes off, but it doesn't really affect things like when you're on a corporation raid and then you find this person and she's like, okay, I'll, I'll get through this vent. And you walk back through, through the guards that you already <laughs> killed and then you're gone. Yeah, she, she escapes through an unrelated vent. And <laughs> when, I, when I went in, like I, I didn't, uh, you can kind of uh, get access to this. Like you can find certain contacts earlier and we'll talk about contacts a little bit later but you can find a contact that will uh put in a word with the guard who will kind of wave you through in the beginning mm-hmm. i didn't want to go through all that and i was pretty tough so i just went in and and he's like excuse me can i help you and there's just one option just like open fire <laughs> so i just immediately killed the guards in the first station none of the other guards were alerted though so i just walked through empty cell after empty cell trying to find eileen while guards just walked past me not shooting me <laughs> And she's like, what is going on? <laughs> this is supposed to be like a maximum security prison. It looks like a fucking death fortress on the map. Like, it, it's huge. <laughs> yeah. It's just like this huge building with like, you know, concrete, you know, 20 foot walls around it and, and just nothing. If you go in and shoot the, the receptionist, <laughs> then you are free to roam <laughs> as much as you like. This, um, this, let's be it, fair. It this could be political commentary about the, uh, the perils of privatized prisons, <laughs> but let's not get into that. <laughs> um, and the nice thing is once you do um, get Eileen, she becomes a runner that's available. She's not free like Stark, but she's a she's a pretty powerful character, and you, you can recruit her. She's a, a melee character who's pretty mm. tough. Neat. 
Yeah, but you get Eileen um, and go back to the big um, elfin uh, Amerindian um, place, and they tell you something or other about Michael. And this is where I get tripped up, is because a lot of the story does kind of seem to be uh, inconsequential to, to a certain point, because it rapidly becomes apparent that your brother's death was more or less an accident. Right. Yeah, and and that's definitely true. Like, it's like it's something where like, um, he was hired by these elves. These elves are trying to uh, protect this ancient artifact from this creature named Thon. Thon has hired Renraku. There's there's these big kind of convoluted elements that are all intertwined, and your, your brother just happened to be a dude who was hired and in the wrong place at the wrong time, and that is why he's shot down. So it, it feels like, and they kind of, they have this opportunity to do a baton pass. Like they, they spend a, a little bit of lip service to, uh, to build up Thon as this threat, but that never really came across for me personally. Um, you know, I was much more, you know, I was more motivated by the beginning by this kind of revenge tale than I was on this world conquering, you know, Gozer kind of figure. <laughs> exactly. Gozer. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's just kind of like, okay, you know, Thon wants to conquer the world. And there's all this stuff with, like, ancient elven artifacts. Like, Thon has to eat artifacts to gain his power. And, like, you ultimately, that's what you're doing. The end game is you going and, and protecting this artifact from Thon. But uh, it's a little unsatisfying. Like, up until that point, the plot is satisfying. But they, they it falls had, apart there. They had a huge opportunity to keep it personal and to keep it small. But... Anybody who was developing an RPG in the 16-bit era was contractually obligated to have the world hang in the balance. <laughs> that, that's exactly what it is. Like how you, it's it's just it's like the one opportunity they didn't take to do something amazing, yeah. like innovative in this in this game. Because if that would be another thing we'd be talking about, if this ended up just being like, you know, you get to the end, um, you know, you find the Renraku goon who killed your brother. And then the the ending screen is you walking away from Thon as he's about to eat this artifact because you don't give a shit because <laughs> you just care about your brother. How amazing of an ending would that be? It'd just be like, you know, this very like personal thing, you know, um, you just walking away and Seattle blows up at the end. <laughs> Fucking A. Like, <laughs> this would have been awesome. You know, yeah. it would have been like the first I would have I like I wouldn't I wouldn't be here today because I would my I would still be like lying on my back in my basement floor. Like, you know. They'd, have, they'd build a, a, a life support system around me because I'd be so shocked, you know? <laughs> Mind, but, comma, blown. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. But, but, but the end game, you know, as you go and find Thawne, you're introduced to this Harlequin fellow who I understand is a fixture in the, uh, in the Shadowrun universe. Like he's somebody who keeps coming up um, as an elf who is kind of in charge of these Amer Indian lands. Um, but that was kind of lost on me cause I didn't know it until afterwards when I was reading some of the, um, uh, supplemental materials. Is that true that I was kind of supposed to know who Harlequin was? Yeah. He's, he's a character from the lore. Like he's like, you know, the equivalent of like bloodlines, like he's the Jack, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of a mover and shaker yeah. in the, in the Shadowrun world. I never had any experience with him. I never played a lot of the published adventures mm-hmm. for Shadowrun in my, my pen and paper days, but, um, you know, I'm I'm vaguely familiar with him, and he's just he's a he's a serious looking elf whose face is painted like a clown, and uh, that, that's all. It's probably less than you need to know about him, but it's all you get to know about him, <laughs> right? <laughs> because it's all I know about him, and it's, it, it, so. and that contributes. It's another similar big kind of shakeup because it's kind of like oh, I've been watching you all along and everything. It's just kind of like why should I care? 
about who you are right. and what you have to do with me. Why should I care about Thawne except for the fact that maybe he killed my brother, maybe not. He's this big, unknowable, elemental force. You know, it's, it's, kind, of, it's, kind, of, it's kind of like Smithy in, in Mario <laughs> RPG. Like this idea of this, like having a character come in at the last minute who you haven't had any experience with is a real, I don't know why that is a, a video game trope, but it needs to stop being one. Like, I would much rather have a character who has been vexing me the entire... Like, can you think of a video game with a really good villain that, like, you spend the entire game kind of, you know, against? Like, and have it, instead of having somebody just kind of come at the last minute. It's kind of a cop-out, you know? but, but I'd say Sephiroth, because even in Final Fantasy VI, you know, Kefka, for the entire first half of the game, he's the, he's the, uh, the henchman. You don't take him seriously mm-hmm. until, he, until he poisons those people, you know? Like, like right. so, so, Sephiroth in Final Fantasy VII is laid out from the very beginning of the game, or at least very close, at the end of the first chapter, you know, as being the guy. and you know, Right, as the villain. Yeah, as even, the villain. Even though they kind of, they almost kind of zag that because when they start introducing Genova, but like, I guess there are examples, but it doesn't happen very often. Like, and then you look at um, Final Fantasy VIII and IX, both of which brought in, you know, ringers for the last disc. <laughs> You know, really unsatisfyingly, really, especially in Final Fantasy IX, which I feel is so strong up game. until that last point, you know, and it just like, oh, actually, the, the bad guy is this random Yahoo you never heard of. Yeah. Oh, the, OK. The personification okay. of death. OK. I hate that. I hate yeah. death. Okay. I don't like death, but OK, I'll go along with it, yeah. but I'm not too happy. Yeah. Whatever oh, you well. want, Final Fantasy IX. <laughs> I'll, I'll walk <laughs> I'll walk around just kind of like swirling, mystic, trippy uh, landscapes for the whole last fucking disc. Yeah, and and kill this this last thing. You yeah, know, it I know. just I really wish video games cared more about making giving you a personal stake or giving you a good villain. Like I, you know, I love a good villain. It just it happens so rarely. You know, it does happen. I'm not gonna I'll retract my statement. You know, the can you think of because I I can probably think of a few, of, but it just doesn't happen enough. Yeah, and definitely not in this game. No. And and that final boss fight, I mean, it's not really anything special. It's one screen, you kill two henchmen, and then you kill Thawne. Actually, you don't even get to kill Thawne. Remember that little bit of Deus Ex Machina I mentioned before? That dragon you saved, he's, you know, when you save, when you save him, he says, uh, at, at some point in the future, you will be in danger, and I will come and repay my debt. And sure enough, you do enough damage to Thawne, and then the dragon comes and says, blow up the entrance and seal him, and then game over. And it's like two lines of text. It says, actually, I have this written down here. It's not in my notes. All of Seattle <laughs> is forever in your debt. <laughs> All of Seattle? Really? Yeah. Uh, the end. The, uh, it's kind of funny. The Super Nintendo version ends the same way. Like really? you, you fight a boss fight where you just kind of hurt him enough until a, a Deus Ex Machina character you, you allied with earlier comes and finishes him off. Yeah. Um, Narrative convenience. Yeah, it's pretty pretty obnoxious and, and unnecessary in that respect. Also, the guy they show in the last cutscene doesn't look anything like you. It's like this weird do. He looks like the Space Marine from Doom, um, you know. <laughs> and like as much as I like that last shot with the city and the Shadowrun logo, like where he fires the shotgun and the Shadowrun logo appears. It's just an unrelated thing. Like it doesn't look like your character at all. You've been seeing Joshua the entire game. Like you press start and there he is, mm-hmm. you know. So and and that's and that's Shadowrun, which is a uh, uh, a tough, flawed uh, game. But there are a lot of really interesting things that does uh, that we'll we'll talk about uh, here now that we are done with the plot.
Um, so, I mean, kind of general observations, you know, the, the, the mixed grab bag uh, of stuff that didn't really fit anywhere else. I mean, I can kind of start off and say I really liked the music a, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, some tracks, they sound kind of uh, Asian-inspired, like Japanese kind of inspired. I like the ones that kind of veer into the cyberpunk, like, Baroque style with these cool, like, harpsichord lines uh, that go up mm-hmm. and down. And I think the only time, it, you know, it really misses is that one bar track that sounds remarkably like I Want Candy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People are still listening to that band in the future. It's like this weird, whiny, triangle, cheese wave sound uh, that's pretty much why I Want Candy. And it is totally out of place. Like all the rest of the music is really interesting and neat, um, and then and then this uh, this one track is is shitty. I love how how Sega Genesisy the music is. Like the the different consoles, you know, eight bit and sixteen bit. You know, I, I miss that about video games where consoles would have different kind of sounds to them. Like now, all games can have pretty much any soundtrack, and I feel like video game music has gotten like fairly boring because of that. You know, a lot of it is just orchestral, you know, blah, blah, blah. Very Hollywood. And at the time, yeah, very, very Hollywood. Like, as the games become more cinematic, music gets more cinematic for them. Whereas before, they had to work in the kind of limitations of the systems. And you got really interesting stuff going on. Like, a Super, I can hear a Super Nintendo song and a Genesis song and know the difference just on how they sound, you know, pretty easily. And this is a really good example of, like, a classic Genesis, like, metallic, a lot of, like, distorted percussion um, metallic distorted percussion stuff going on. It's always the percussion. Right. Like very, very percussive, you know, and that's a big, uh, big Genesis thing. And I really like it. Like there's lots of that Starflight game. I mentioned that this, uh, blue sky software did all the music in that game is really great. Um, all the fantasy star Genesis music is really good too. And it was just an alternative. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, super Nintendo had these kind of like masterpieces as far as music goes, you know, like act razor and stuff like that. Um, but the, uh, the the Genesis music provides such an awesome alternative, and this is a great example of it. Um, I'll put the, the the soundtrack to Sonic One next to you pretty much anything else in the entire world, um, and it will, <laughs> it, it, it will whatever it goes it up against will come up wanting. Yeah, it's the Beatles of the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that that works really well. The other thing that this game does really neat is the uh, the party control is really awesome. Like. It handles, uh, you know, since it's a non-traditional kind of action RPG, everything happens in real time. You can't control each character in turn. Uh, the way it works is you can swap between active control of any of the characters anytime you want, literally instantly. And uh, But their AI is really good, too. So I never, you know, other than a couple times where they get snagged on scenery, uh, most of the time the, the party worked really, really well, I thought. They knew what to do next a lot of the time. And I mean, even even when you were doing it, doing missions just by yourself, uh, it knew who to target next. Like it, it, it was sensing like who was the greater threat to you. Um, so after one target dies, it'll automatically target the next one. And I, I thought that this was a really, really satisfying part of the game for as much as I did end up dying. I never felt like it was the fault of my ability to control what I was doing. I felt like it was the fault of, uh, the game, not knowing what strength of enemy to throw at me, but and and that's going to happen when uh, you have this kind of like open-endedness yeah um i've I've actually done the taking the liberty of making a list of super innovative amazing things this game did before any other game i can think of at least within context i mean i'm sure if i I did a lot of research i could find you know kind of proto examples this is my first exposure probably a lot of people's first exposure to these kind of things on on the 
on a console. So I'll kind of go through these one by one and we can kind of talk about them as we go. Um, one of them is that, that open-endedness. Um, almost every area in the game is available right away after the title screen. Like when you, you know, until you, uh, you're kind of, you know, you have that tutorial area until you pay off your brother's debt. But after that, you have almost, you know, you have access to almost the entire, entire game right away. There are no, and, and there are no arbitrary barriers. Like when you can't get somewhere, you know, when you're in that first area and you can't leave, it's because of like traffic. When you can't get into the American Indian lands, it's because of a visa. It's like these real world restrictions. And that's, you know, super neat. Yeah, and and it's nice that they took the effort to make it contextual and make it this kind of like diegetic. Uh, sorry to throw out the fifty cent word there, but this thing that <laughs> the thing that was justified within the narrative and something that was like, oh, it's understandable, as opposed to like, oh, this bridge happens to be under construction now, or it's an invisible wall, or you just can't do it because the king has decreed that nobody can leave this land until you're higher than level five. So, so, so yeah, right. And I could understand, you know, that's something that is a selling point for a lot of games today. I can't tell you how many dipshits I've heard talk about, you know, an Elder Scrolls game and say just like, <laughs> well, I, I just ignored the first, I just ignored the main story. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> was he singing that to you on a banjo on like a porch, I like guess. in the south? <laughs> I hang out with some Where strange characters. <laughs> Well, no, no, but just like, just like, it's this, it's this weird, almost intolerable meme, which is like, I just ignore the main story. Well, did you ignore it because it sucked or, or, or what? But that is something that is legitimately like, oh, I just, I, I, I bought Grand Theft Auto three and I played it because I just like to, to dick around in the city. And this is something that you could feasibly do. And for, for the record, I, I skipped the, the main story in Oblivion because it did suck. Oh yeah. So yes. it wasn't just because I wanted to brag to, uh. GameStop employees, <laughs> yeah, and sing them little some ditties about that. But I mean, yeah, it's got that. There's, but on kind of the flip side, and maybe we can kind of with these different things, kind of talk about where it came up lacking yeah. in result of this too. You know, where it's kind of a re- reach uh, outstripped its grasp. You know, so we have those those kind of unbalanced enemies. You know, because you can go anywhere, you're going to run into tough things right off the bat. There's nothing to, you know, there's kind of one warning in the game. Like every once in a while when you get the highest level runs, uh, Johnson will say this is red flagged. It's for expert runners only. Other than that, though, um, you know, you can kind of stumble into really tough things. It's also, you know, it has that freedom, that open worldness. But there's not much you can do. And there's not enough in the world to make it like a Grand Theft Auto 3 thing. Yeah. Like you could do that and you can kind of run around and explore. But there's not a lot of fun to be had outside of actually increasing your character. And there's the ever-present uh, open-world uh, problem of, well, where the hell do I go next? Which leads right. into, you know, I think the adjective of the night, which is inscrutable. But, you know, right. in, in, in all fairness, the game does do a very good job. If you go into your, you know, your personal secretary, which is just such a wonderful anachronism. I like that <laughs> a lot. Yeah. I imagine if it just faxes you uh, <laughs> yeah. like, each message. Yeah. Um, um, you can go into that and, you know, you can look at your tips and it'll say, this is the name of the person you're looking for. And this is the general area that they're in. So to the game's credit, it actually does make that information pretty well available to you, at least in getting those quest lines started. Um, another neat thing, and this kind of goes, uh, goes along with that is that we, you know, we already talked about this a bit, but having the, the kind of most powerful weapons and items and cyberware available right off the bat and just limiting you economically. So it, it's still a limit, but it's, it's more like you have more control over it. Like the, the first pistol that you can get that's 560 
New Yen, you know, that one's easy. But even, you know, once you say, start saving up like sixty or $70,000, it's up to you whether you want to get a good, decent cyber deck or buy wired reflexes, which is like the best cyberware in the game. Um, so it, it's all available and you have that kind of player choice right from the bat. And the only time that that really comes up short is the descriptions. They do a pretty good job of explaining lore-wise, like what is, what that is supposed to, you know, do for you. But uh, they don't uh, really explain how it's supposed to benefit you from a gameplay perspective, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is 100% true. Like, there's nothing to, you know, you can get, it, it'll say, like, you know, you can get Cyber Eyes put in, and it says it lets you see in the dark, and... Uh, uh, increases your accuracy. Well, how much accuracy, you know, how much does it increase my accuracy? And it's never dark. Like, what do you mean <laughs> it lets you see in the dark? And and I guess there's an invisible mechanical penalty when you're in a dark room, mm-hmm. you know, but you can always see. So it doesn't explain any of that stuff. Um, and Wired Reflexes, it never really explains what that does. It just know, You just know that it's, you know, $60,000, so you know you want it. Right. <laughs> and so that just the price informs what you want, just like in real life, honestly. But <laughs> what, what does Wired <laughs> Reflexes do? I, I mean, I bought it because it was good, but... It, uh, and it really greatly increases your attack speed. Okay. So it, it, you, can, you can attack about twice as fast for each upgrade of it you get. So um, Another thing that's, that's really neat about this game is you have like a real uh, PC game amount of control over your character. Um, where you, know, you have all of these stats. Um, you have all of these different kinds of weapons, cyberware... You have these three major kind of utilities you can give your character as far as like combat, magic, and decking. And you have total control over how you're going to spend your karma and develop your character. And kind of in relation to this, there aren't very many junk stats. Like there aren't, you know, it's all useful. It's almost all valid. And uh, that's, you know, super neat, this kind of customizability. Whereas especially at the time when I had spent all my time playing, you know, Final Fantasies and Fantasy Stars, where just a couple numbers went up every time you leveled up and you had very little control over your characters and it's one of those things where you're used to things like the personality stats being junk stats in games that are as combat heavy as this but you don't realize how important reputation ultimately is towards your your ability to progress in the game i mean a lot of the um upper level gang benefits they're only available to you after you have gotten your reputation to about four or five um one of the neat things i I think this game does is that we and we talked about this already but this like lack of a, a consequence for death, you know, and, and now that's design is moving towards that, you know, death is becoming, people are, you know, 30 years after the arcades are, are realizing that, you know, player death is really kind of a, a, a holdover from that got to get your quarters kind of idea. Um, and in 1994, this was almost unheard of. Like now, you know, not only is there very little penalty for death, you can also save and load at almost any time as well. Um, it just, it, you know, it, it takes that kind of philosophy as opposed to a, uh, you know, more standard three lives, game overs, you know, that kind of thing, or just like a save point system where you, you have to save up. And if you die, you can lose a lot of progress. You know, I didn't think about that because of the way I played the game, um, on a, on an emulator, regrettably, um, if it was available, I would have purchased it. Um, <laughs> but that, that is, I can't think of any other game from the era even on like PC that lets you save wherever you want it to. You can't save in buildings okay. in, the, in this game. You can save anywhere out in the town or anywhere in the wilderness. Which is so, but yeah, where you spend which is most, most of your time. Yeah. 
Right. So you can so. save before you go on any run, before you go into the Matrix. Um, kind of adding to this, I just I didn't think about this when I was making my notes, but not only is there little consequence for death, but if one of your party members dies, or if Joshua dies, there's no Phoenix Down item, there's no special item. You can just heal somebody up from death. So if you are able to finish the fight that you're in, you're able to just kind of heal up. You don't have to take up inventory space with with Phoenix Down type items. So it's just it's just like real first aid, you know. It's like a they're they're bleeding out, and you're able to just stabilize them and bring them back. Yeah. Although if you do so, fail to do that, you are going to be boned financially because they will up their price because you are apparently a bad team leader. Right. Which may, which makes sense, but it can definitely be frustrating. Yeah. Um, so, t- talk about the hidden content. Yeah, I you know, I mentioned uh, Stark, who is who is the runner who uh, you know was on your brother's team. It's hard to get, but um, you can definitely you can find him. And uh, if you do, he's very powerful. You're rewarded. There's also a side quest um, that you find through the Matrix. Like you find different clues if you if you go on runs in these different corporations. And uh, it has to do with uh, like a cover up at Chernobyl. Um, it's this whole whole thing. Um, being perfectly honest, I've never done it. I've only read about it uh, because it is really kind of complicated. You get a huge cash reward for it. I think it's something like. 50,000 new yen wow. for completing it. But I, I would classify the hidden content even being as, you know, not so much hidden, but optional content being even, you know, as far as the runners, like you have a wide array of different teammates you can have. And since you have that same freedom to develop them that you do for your own character, you can make them very powerful. Like even the first runner in the fir- very first uh, level, Ricky, the, the rat shaman who, mm-hmm. who is ugly and obnoxious and sucks. Um, <laughs> if you build him up from the beginning, he can be very powerful. Um, there's also the contacts in the game. You know, a lot of the, the Johnsons and gang leaders and everything will sell you a name of a person and they can, they'll either give you information or provide services. Um, I think this is pretty flawed just because you can't tell what they're going to do before you sink this huge money investment into them. Like they're really expensive. They should either tell you exactly what they can do before you decide it's worth it mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, be less money. But it's really neat that there's just these kind of people who can do you favors and it enforces this whole like it's not you know what you know, but it's who you know. And you can get some really huge advantages. I know the first time I played through this, I never got the best uh, Decker contact. And uh, the second, you know, when I played through it subsequent times, I did. And he sells you that best uh, Cyberdeck in the game for about uh-huh. $40,000 cheaper. He sells you hidden programs that you can't buy in actual stores. Wow. Um, these experimental programs. It's really neat. All this stuff is there if you just search for it. Yeah, and just having that amount of agency over the way that the game shakes out. I mean, if you're curious, you can you know find a way around these problems. And if I honestly had more time and inclination, and you know, let's let's be clear here, patience, I probably would have had a much better experience <laughs> with the hacking. You know, getting that better deck, buying my way into being successful with the uh, with, with that matrix part of the game that, that that's really cool and i always harp on how important that sense of mystery is you know you never know how those conversations right. are going to shake out you never know what you're going to be missing and um that's important in an rpg and especially in an rpg of that era right and then that's you know the, the matrix is huge in this game having this whole kind of like sub game with its own rules and its own setting and uh its own kind of mechanics separately kind of embedded in the main game, you know, is, is one maybe chief among this kind of like optional content that we're talking about and, and just, you know, really, really, really neat. And a lot of people, you know, myself included, 
you know, this was, this is what they took away from the game. This is what they remember. And, uh, you know, so much so that I know that the guy who did have Link, like it's an influence on him, was the, the Shadowrun Matrix uh, Genesis video game, you know. And it comes through really, really well. Um, I also think just, and this isn't, uh, you know, there were other games that kind of had this this flavor and this cyberpunk setting, but it was the first one I played that had this. I mean, it just it felt very real. Um, you know, you had to, like, watch your ammo. You could, I remember the first time I found out that, like, when I came to a locked door and I had grenades in my, my inventory and I could use a grenade to blow up the door, it's almost never a good idea because it always sets off the alarm and grenades are kind of expensive, but it's so neat. You know, it's just this real flavor, whereas everything I'd played at the time, all the other RPGs were were kind of standard fantasy fare, you know? So it was just, it was really, really at the time, I think kind of a unique setting for games. Yeah. And, and I have my frustrations with, 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 with cyberpunk, honestly. <laughs> um, you, you know, most, most things that are cyberpunk, this is something that came to me in the car a couple of days ago, but most things that are cyberpunk, they feel so alien to, to, to me, honestly. And I'm, I'm a fan of, of certain works in the genre. I really love Blade Runner. We've made reference to this on the show. Um, I really like the book, uh, Snow Crash. Um, that's, mm-hmm. that's good as well for, you know, for as cheesy as that is, but, it kind of reminds me of anything in Dungeons and Dragons that has to do with psionics, which really to yeah. me was like, let's have ugly people with like outlandish hair who are covered in scales and embedded with embedded with crystals, just like do really kind of stupid acts that nobody can really understand. You know, <laughs> it, it was, well, I think it's a, it's born out of this idea of like, not you know trying to go far enough in the future where it's not just the the current you know the now plus yeah. you know like you 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 want it the future will be alien you know like we can predict a certain amount of time in the future but the actual you know if you so the, the and this is nerdy and about the the pen and paper game but <laughs> the current pen and paper game is has a lot of kind of uh tropes and ideas that are based in current uh technology mm-hmm. you know um like things that seem plausible now and the first edition and, you know, the Neuromancer, like, the, that's kind of based, you know, Shadowrun is based on, yeah. kind of had this idea of, like, we need to go so far out there because things are going to be just totally crazy. Like, nobody knows what the future holds. Nobody knows the, the shape of things to come, you know? Um, so they, they, that's why you have people with, like, ridiculous asymmetrical haircuts, uh, you know, just, I don't know, like, shooting uh, drugs that make them vibrate into their, you know... <laughs> and stuff like that like it just gets really ridiculous <laughs> and that and that is just like it's just because you you want to make it alien like yeah. there's something alien about the future but the, i agree with you that it can be taken too far like i tend to find any kind of conception of the future pretty charming mm-hmm. um but you know you can definitely take it too far something kind of i thought about um right before we recorded is i, I beat this game yesterday Last night I was kind of trying to do some research. I was trying to find some some reviewer quotes if we were going to try to do that. And I couldn't find any, so we, we won't do that segment. <laughs> but I was lying uh, in bed with my, my tablet PC looking up reviewer quotes after having – I also beat uh, Mario 3D Land. And I wish I could travel back in time to like my 14-year-old self and say, <laughs> hey, you're going to be – before bed, you're going to be playing Mario Brothers in 3D – uh, using essentially like a Star Trek, those like tablet readers from Star Trek Next Generation <laughs> to do research for a, a podcast that you're, you're going to talk about this game you're playing right now for, you know, hundreds of people on the internet. And then just like, just like watch my younger self just like, oh my God, you know, give like a emoticon face, fucking freak out. Because it's just like, it's such a, you know, 
I don't know. I, I guess that's a that's a that's a pretty bland point that you know how advanced things are now. But it kind of plays into that. Like you're trying to you know kind of predict how things will be. And at the time, I had no idea right. that that would be the truth. You know, it's just so you, you say it's you say it's charming, and I agree with that. But I think it's charming because it's quaint. I went back and I've read about the first half of Neuromancer for this because I know that that's a foundational work in the cyberpunk oeuvre. Um, mm-hmm. And <laughs> one of the you know first like descriptions of like this huge big run that uh, that Case, the main character of the book, does was like to deliver two megabytes of RAM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The. <laughs> This, you know, keychain that I'm holding right here, the button that I pressed to unlock my car door, <laughs> that probably has two me- two megabytes of RAM. <laughs> you know, so so it's just it's just totally. funny. Like the further out you try to make these predictions, the easier it is to be false. You know, it's kind of like you know, like are we going to have ray guns? Who knows? Food pills? It's the Jetsons. Uh, um, yeah. So cyberpunk, you know, my 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 love hate relationship with that. Uh, you know, th- th- that aside, there there were other things that I kind of had quibbles about with the game and we've been talking about the difficulty a lot. I don't know if it bears talking about it, you know, any more, but it really seems wildly uneven what will and what won't kill you. Right. It's, it's, it's real tough. You get those, um, those ghoul run bounties kind of right in the beginning and ghouls, you know, unless they gang up on you, you know, you're pretty safe against those, but the gargoyles in those, in those same buildings can kill you in one hit pretty easily. Um, and that's you know the very first uh, set of missions you can get. Yeah, that, can, that can be the first thing you do in the game, is walk into a, a, a warehouse and have a gargoyle, you know, fly up to you and slash you. You know, so that's that's definitely a problem. I think it, it plays into another point that um, we have here in our notes uh, is that everything is super fucking expensive in this game, and that really contributes to the difficulty because if you could in, kind of improve your character easier, you know, it wouldn't seem as bad. It wouldn't seem as bad, and I understand why they did that. I understand why everybody is nickel and diming you because it kind of plays into this whole cyberpunk trope of anarcho-capitalism, which is everybody's out to get theirs, and there's no government, and even the police are on the make. You know, things like that. Like, I get that it feeds into it, but still, that shouldn't affect like why I need to do like four runs in order to afford a single trip into this place that I need to go for story reasons. Yeah, the, the travel expenses in this game are fucking terrible. Like, you, you, you find a, a contact who is a pilot who will drop you off either in front of the Elvish, uh, Ameri- you know, Elvish Indian lands or the American Indian lands. And, uh, you know, at, at 5,000, 3,000 times, uh, you know, dollars a trip, it just it gets ridiculous when you're, you're making that much maybe for one run. It gets really tedious. Yeah, and... and- and like for the payoff to improve your character, I understand that entirely. But to move from place to place and to kind of advance the plot, it almost feels like they are trying to artificially enhance the length of the game. Um, so, any wrap up thoughts on Shadowrun before we move to the admin and and stuff? No, except for my my gesticulating and my insinuations that you're the worst person in the world are mostly for comedic value. <laughs> no, I, no, I know. I, I, I didn't take it personally. Yeah, um, yeah. It would be 
it would be I, I know you better as the better than to be a better person than the kind of person who would actually <laughs> what the fuck you know and and you know what you get something out of anything you experience yeah. you know like you get something out of watching a bad movie you know like you get something out of reading a, a bad book like you still it's still a valuable experience and it's even you know it's even more you know less more valuable if it's something that's complicated or mixed yeah you know there's so few like home runs like there are so few games that are just uh, out and out great with no uh, no polish needed, and uh, this game is no exception. I, I think that this is worth if you're interested in kind of like gaming history. You want to see something that is really neat done on on a console, um, way way ahead of its time, or if you like that that kind of genre, um, check this out. Do it back in hand. Yes. Um, you know, don't try to go go it alone. Um, you can you know cheating is not that. I mean, I feel like. Um, you know, you do eliminate that big middle chunk of the game since the cheats give you karma and magic or karma and Nuyen primarily. But if, uh, if you just kind of want to see a game that does this stuff, cheat. Uh, remember the Abacab code, <laughs> the, the Genesis code, and uh, check it out. Yeah. Shadowrun.wikia.com. That was the resource that I used. Um, I wouldn't mm-hmm. blame you for doing it, honestly. So now that you've heard what we have to say about Shadowrun, uh, we want to hear what you think. Um, we you know, we had a, a good amount of anticipation for this game, but not a lot of comments, um, which I think is fine. It's it's kind of inscrutable. It is hard to get a hold of, you know. So I understand that. But uh, one uh, one of our our listeners from the Something Awful message boards, uh, Jet Set Lemming, um, who you may remember, I think that he maybe took the the second the prize in the second episode. No, he won for uh, for I believe it was for Vampire. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a, a listener. So we. We appreciate him, and uh, we've got a, a comment here you, you posted on the board that we're going to read for you. Yeah. Do you want to read that, Cole? Yeah, I'll take it. Shadowrun is such an amazing game, and I think I'd point to it as my single most formulative gaming experience as a kid. It's part open world, pre- uh, precursor to your Skyrims and your GTAs, part adventure game text adventure, no real puzzles, but lots of conversations with a mystery behind everything that you're tasked to solve. It took me all of third grade and both summers bookending it to beat the game on my first time through, when now, knowing the plot path, I can beat it in 20 minutes if I cheat and bypass the grinding uh, for reputation and for cash. Um, I think it might even go so far as to put Shadowrun at the root of love of reading as a kid. Uh, All that text required reading and giving uh, the setting and gameplay, I willingly dove into the task. Long after the game was done, I was conditioned and willing and able to read lots uh, for the purpose of getting into a story and an environment. Also, with the way it blends different proto-genres, I think it was a pretty good precursor to Deus Ex as well, which was my next major video game formulative experience five or six years later. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Jets. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I love that story of role-playing games being the impetus for learning how to read. Um, I knew how to read long before I started playing games like, you know, I mentioned before, um, Super Mario RPG and Final Fantasy IV. But God, was that just a great little exercise in getting interested in, you know, kind of fantasy settings. And I kind of followed the traditional arc, uh, I think, in my in my younger years of playing an RPG, then reading the Chronicles of Narnia, then reading the Lord of the Rings, and then moving on to 
um, non-fantasy things, and then coming back to it really, really hardcore with the uh, Dark Tower series. But uh, but yeah, our RPGs <laughs> in general um, and video games in general, I would think, I don't know many little kids today, but probably with the amount of text that they're faced with both games and the internet, that's a pretty big uh, way for them to learn to be curious about the written word, right? Right, right. For me, it was a combination of, of video games and comic books. But it was that kind of, you know, pop culture, you know, things that are traditionally known as bad for you that really did make me want to read novels and be interested in that thing. I love in this comment, too, when uh, the first line when he talks about how is the single most formulative gaming experience as a kid. I misread that as him saying is the single most formulative experience for him as a kid, <laughs> which made me think, like, what kind of what kind of young adult he maybe turned into be well, if the Jets <laughs> shatter on. Let's be fair. Jets, he was locked in a box for several years, so... You know, that's fine. <laughs> no, this just reminds me. There's a there's there's a fantastic book that I have to plug. It's called Everything Bad Is Good for You. Um, it was written by Stephen Johnson, um, and he spends a lot of time talking about how uh, video games and television are are actually really good for teaching how to think in these really kind of different ways that are uh, kind of outside of the I'm going to go to school and read long books kind of way. So right, I'll I'll buy that. You know, in a heartbeat, I definitely, you know, as somebody, you know, myself who I consider myself to be a, a smart person, but I, I, my formal, you know, higher level education is really limited. You know, I, I uh, you know, that had to come from somewhere, you know, that had to come from uh, me wanting to develop that myself. And if, if these things were the impetus, why argue with that? You know? <laughs> right. So, okay. So we're going to go into the, uh, the deliberation chamber and, and make our choice of, of one person and uh, see See, we actually, yeah, we don't have to go into the deliberation chamber for this one, but we like it inside the deliberation chamber, <laughs> yeah, so we're going to go anyway. In there. And we have decided to <laughs> the door opening. Uh, we have decided to give it to Jetset Lemming uh, because he was the one who commented. Uh, thank you so much for those thoughtful comments, Jetset Lemming, and for being such a loyal listener and also commenter. Um, it's fantastic to know that mm-hmm. you're sticking with us here. Um, you know, we're not opposed to giving it to the same person twice, especially as we grow our, our listener base. We consider it encouragement to other people to know like, hey, you know, we have a pretty good chance of getting a free game out of this. And there's nothing better in the world than free games. And that's not, um, you know, just as kind of this like dirty, you know, guy trying to lure you into his basement with free games kind of <laughs> kind of thing. It's really just it's really just like an appreciation thing. You know, uh, we want people to listen to the show, not just because they'll get free games, but also, you know, because they like it and because we like that. That's why we yeah. want to to encourage that. We like to hear what you think, honestly, because it does make us think about the games that we're playing for the show. And it doesn't kind of inform our opinion as we go along. I'd never played Shadowrun. And Jetset Lemming, he commented like halfway through my playthrough. And his advice really did help me out honestly. So that, that, that does help. And it's great to know that you're out there and it's great to know, uh, what you think, because, um, I'm pretty opinionated and I form blind spots readily. <laughs> um, so yeah. <laughs> but uh, but the, the reason why that's okay is because you're willing to revise them. Yes. You know, I think there's nothing wrong with making opinions quickly as long as they're not set in stone. Right. So, um, in the future, if you would like to comment on our, ne- on our next game, which, um, we're going to talk about it here pretty soon. Uh, you can get a hold of us anytime at Watch Out for Fireballs at DuckFeed.tv. You can also comment on our Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash Watch Out for Fireballs. And you can call our voicemail, which is 
W-O-F-F, and uh, leave us a voicemail there. Any of those are great ways to uh, get featured on the show and be entered in uh, for a chance to win those sweet, sweet prizes. Mm-hmm. So um, as we mentioned last episode, uh, the next epi- game we're doing is The Longest Journey. Um, if you want to play along with us, that is available on Good Old Games and Steam. Um, at the time we're recording, this is Black Friday, and Steam is doing their, uh, you know, twice a month, everything is is almost free sale that they like <laughs> exactly. to do. So I'm really hoping that uh, The Longest Journey becomes uh, goes on sale, just so I can save a few bucks. But I'm going to pick it up regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what's the game we're doing after that, Gary? Um, after that, we are doing Super Mario Land 2. Um, Legend of the Six Golden Coins. That is the uh, probably the most bastardous stepchild of the, the Mario series. Um, it is available on the... If you have a 3DS, it is available on the um, eShop, the 3DS eShop, for, I think, $4 or $5. Um, if you don't have that, then it is not widely available. But, meh, you know, we... You know how we feel about that, but if you yep. if you do have the the means to get it, it's only a couple bucks and is worth worth your money. It is a, an awesome little platformer that is really really strange for a Mario game. Okay, so there are a couple of things that you can do uh, for us. The chief thing would be to go to iTunes and give us a rating or a, or a review. Um, to every season, you know, we turn turn turn. Uh, we fell off of the <laughs> new and noteworthy, uh, but uh, we can get back up there. Uh, if you give us some reviews and ratings and things like that, uh, we know you're out there and we appreciate you giving us your time and attention. It's just that one little step extra to uh, click those stars or to type a couple of nice words in for us. iTunes is the main way that people get us. I understand if you're not of the inclination, that's perfectly fine. Although setting up an iTunes account to you know review us, that's not entirely um, out of the question, I would say. It'd be, it'd be a good way to spend a rainy afternoon in. Yeah, yeah. Um, just sit in front of your computer, install some things, set up some accounts, <laughs> take down some accounts, uninstall some things. It's fun for the whole family. Yeah. Get your whole family to do it. Uh, set Teach up the kids, kids about end user license agreements, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and if, you, if you don't actually, you know, if you don't want to do that, I understand that completely. Completely. Um, but if you do like the show, we, you know, we can still use help, you know, so uh, let, let your friends know about it. Um, if you want to talk about it in other places on the Internet. That is awesome. You know, blog posts, message boards, anything like that. And, uh, you know, even if you just want to let us know if, if you want to, you know, we'd love to hear from you about the game we're talking about or not. So if you just have any kind of feedback, you know, use those contact options, go on Facebook. Uh, if you have any questions, any suggestions for games, we want to hear it all. We are, we are readily absorbing vortexes that just want <laughs> to, to take in anything that you are willing to to give us we crave so. your validation and we would also like to thank the something awful forum specifically the video game podcast megathread always supportive always super great and talking about our show that is uh fantastic and you make my day every time you write about us there uh like i said always craving validation tell me about the buttons gary oh the buttons yes we have <laughs> ordered uh watch out for fireballs little pins to put on your messenger bag or your jacket or on someone else's messenger bag Pretty much anywhere that you, any piece of cloth you can pierce with a little needle, uh, <laughs> one of these buttons belongs in. And they should be arriving at my work this week. So if you would like a button, if you would like to have the little, our little mascot that is on our Facebook page and our, our iTunes feed, if you would like to, to have him on an article of clothing or a bag, let me know. Let us know through Facebook. We'll set something up. Um, we're not charging anything for these. 
just uh, let us know and we'd be happy to send you one. And if you do get one, send us a picture of where you put it. You know, we want to see creativity um, exhibited here. Yeah. If it's just on the front yeah, of your yeah, shirt we'll on, on a on daily Facebook. basis. Right. Yeah. It's just, we want to make this uh, participatory. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, um, as we mentioned before, um, we are recording this in uh, the middle of the holidays. It's the day after Thanksgiving right now, not to put a timestamp on it. Uh, you might be doing some Christmas shopping. You can actually support the show uh, very well, actually, by going to duckfeed.tv slash Amazon and clicking our little referral link there and doing your shopping through that. does not cost you a single extra cent, but we do get a percentage of whatever you spend, and that goes to help with bandwidth costs, goes to help with um, hosting the site, et cetera, et cetera, on down the line. So it's a pretty cool little way. Again, not necessary at all, but uh, it is something to keep in mind as we enter this time when most humans are spending money on Amazon. Right. And, and if you're doing your Christmas shopping anywhere else, uh, you know, what, what is wrong with you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. you, should, you should, you of course, be doing it on Amazon. They deliver it right to your house. It's yeah. like really fast shipping. And this is, you know, I understand people sometimes feel a little squicky about like just hitting the donate button. This is an awesome way where you can do something you're going to do anyway and still help out. Um, so, you know, if you, if, but that donate option, uh, the donate button is an option if, uh, if you're interested in that as well. Mm-hmm. So not, uh, not necessarily encouraged. We're not putting any pressure on you, not holding you hostage. Just something you can do if you would like. Yeah. You're in a room. That donate button is also there. Do what you will. <laughs> yeah. It's like, a, it's like a room escape puzzle. Exactly. And the only way to escape that room <laughs> is to, uh, well, it's not, that's not true. Well, it's yeah, not yeah, just yeah, to press the you button. You can just walk out. It's um, fine. Only, you know, it's an open world room. Um, <laughs> if you were interested in, in, uh, in hearing, you know, kind of more of our uh, opinions and, and jokes and just really our voice, um, you can you can check out some of our other shows. Um, if you go to www.duckfeed.tv, you can check out all of Cole's other shows. Um, he has a show called Stand Under the Don't Tree and Riddle Me This. It is a modern video game show. I confess I missed the last couple episodes because you guys are talking about new games. I'm not accusing you of spoilers, <laughs> but you're talking about games I, I won't have a chance to play for a while. Mm-hmm. But I, I have kept up with his other show, uh, Those Damn Ross Kids, which is uh, timeless and hilarious and is just kind of a weird news and commentary show, and it is wonderful. Oh, well, thank you. I heartily recommend that. And similarly wonderful is Dead Idea Valhalla, which is Gary's uh, show. You can go to deadideaballhalla.com and hear his amazing music and his uh, very quirky rants and soliloquies about uh, uh, his life and uh, his past and uh, also some pretty funny sketches and uh, things that he puts together. Um, really general interest variety show kind of stuff. Completely worth it. Completely timeless again. And uh, you should listen to all of it. Oh, well, th- thank you. I, I agree. And, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't, if you're not going to shop on Amazon, you're not going to donate, you're not going to play The Longest Journey, you're not going to listen to our other shows... <laughs> There's just there's there's one thing that that we have to really entreat you to do. Please watch out for fireballs.
I mean, can we say that the people who made this are bad humans? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that they're probably. <laughs> I think that they're probably bad people. I'm not in the charitable like, mood, Gary. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I think that they are probably bad people. Um, and whatever they did, just to feed their families or or put food on the table or get their kids Christmas gifts, doesn't really excuse it. I mean, you can make that same kind of argument about you know, famously, um, you know, the National Socialist Party, yeah. like we're nice to their dogs and you know the banality of evil and. <laughs> And all that stuff, you know, but it doesn't excuse it. No, no, no. And and if if that's true of the people who made the 2007 Shadowrun, then we are all just little Anne Franks running around in victimized. We're going to have to stop this. Let's pull the plug. I was about to say I'm pretty proud that it took us seven episodes to Godwin, but geez, music break. Uh, Okay. Uh, we, need to, we need to get one of those like uh, t- the t- technical difficulties uh, music things a little sort of pops up with like a puppy having pulled the plug <laughs> I can say with no sense of exaggeration that the 2007 Shadowrun is the worst thing 